This morning we're going to be continuing our end of summer series titled Back to School Lessons for Life. And uh, the whole purpose of this series is as we uh, prepare to enter fall and, you know, a lot of our young people are heading back to school here in another week. We've already been saying goodbye to college students who are heading off to school again for another year. And uh, even those of us who aren't in school, uh, we're all, you know, kind of getting back into our normal routines again. Summer vacations are over and weekends at the lake and all the barbecues, all of that's coming to an end and we're going to be refocusing on, you know, kind of our regular life routines. And so as we thought about that reality, we thought what would be an encouragement to our church as we start into a new year, a new season of life, a new, a new season of ministry as a church? And so we decided that it would be especially helpful to refocus our thoughts and our hearts around some of the core truths of Christianity. What is our faith all about? What is our faith rooted and grounded in? And what has God called us to as his people? And so this is really about a perspective shift, right? Getting our hearts focused on what God has called us to, who we are, our mission, all of those things as God's people. And so if you were with us two weeks ago, Pastor Stephen started this series for us talking about building our lives on a firm foundation, rooting our lives in the, in the word of God. And now today we're going to continue this series with, uh, with an important topic, the question of who we are and whose we are as followers of Jesus Christ. And, and so next week, Pastor Justin's going to carry on this series and bring it to a conclusion looking at the question of what are we called to, to do in this life in terms of living in light of our eternal destiny. And so uh, again, we're just really praying that God would use us to refocus our hearts, refocus our priorities on what matters most for us as his people. I'm going to ask, uh, ask you to join me in a word of prayer and then I'm going to jump in and we're going to look at this question of who we are and whose we are. Lord, we are so grateful to be here this morning, and we are thankful now that we get to look to your word and your truth and your promises for guidance, for encouragement, for reminders uh, about this great question of who we are and whose we are. And I pray, Lord, that you would help me to communicate your truth faithfully this morning, and that you, through the power of your Holy Spirit, would speak to each of us and remind us of these important truths that you have given us in your word so that we might be encouraged as we go into this next year and that we might be more committed to our walk with you, more sure and certain of who we are in you, and more committed to the calling that you have given us as your people. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, over the years, I have shared often uh, my love for reading. I, I love reading books. Uh, it's great. If you're not in that regular habit or discipline, I would encourage you to do so. It, uh, it gets easy to turn on the TV, but uh, we miss a lot when we neglect reading. One of my favorite topics to read, actually two favorite topics to read, are history books, uh, reading about what's taken place in the past. And then my second favorite topic are adventure stories, true stories, true adventure stories. I read a great book this summer called The Last Season. Now, uh, if any of you are reading it right now, I'm just going to tell you a spoiler alert ahead, okay? 
But uh, this was a, a great story about a national park ranger in Kings Canyon and Sequoia National Park, a guy by the name of Randy Morganson. He was one of the longest serving national uh, park rangers in, in United States history. I believe he served for over 30 years. And uh, this story particularly grasped my attention because I had spent a number of summers working at a Christian camp out there in the, uh, in the uh, Sierra, uh, Sierra Mountains of California and uh, did a lot of hiking in some of the areas where uh, the story takes place. Well, the story of Randy Morganson is a fascinating one. He, uh, again, was one of the longest-serving national park rangers. They would fly him out into the remote wilderness, and he would basically outpost there, uh, along with other park rangers at 20-mile intervals throughout the Sierra Mountains, and they would just be there to basically serve people who were on backcountry camping adventures or hikes. If anybody became lost, if anybody became injured, this network of national park rangers were out there in the wilderness to, to be basically the police and the medics and the search and rescue team. And uh, Randy Morganson was, was one of the best. He had personally rescued and saved dozens of people. Uh, he was just a, a, a tremendous park ranger. But back in the 1990s, something interesting took place. Randy Morganson, this experienced mountaineer park ranger, went missing. And the story is just the fascinating account of what was, at that time, the largest search and rescue operation in National Forest Service and National Park Service history. Rangers from all over America and, and, and firefighters and search and rescue teams came from all over the United States to scour Kings Canyon National Park and the surrounding territories looking for this famous park ranger who had gone missing. And no one could figure this out, right? I mean, here was this guy who had been responsible for finding and rescuing dozens of people, and now here he was gone. And there were all kinds of theories as the, the search went on longer and longer. People wondered, you know, did, did Randy want to be found? Maybe he just decided, you know, in his love for the wilderness, I'm just going to walk away from it all and disappear forever. Some people speculated maybe he had been murdered by, by drug dealers or somebody who he had encountered recently who, who was upset with him. Maybe, maybe Randy had committed suicide, right? There were all these theories going around, especially as the search went on and on, and they couldn't find this missing park ranger. Well, the search lasted for over five years. The scale had obviously declined from the early days in intensity, but five years went by five seasons where they continued to search for Randy. Five years went by and a Boy Scout troop came upon some remains of a hiker. Bones and backpacks and clothing. They called the, the National Park Service. They flew in uh, park rangers right away and they quickly identified that these remnants, these remains were, were Randy's. They could identify them based on the, the markings on the, the materials that they found. They began searching that area, and they soon discovered Randy's body lodged behind a dried-up waterfall that was only about 10 feet tall. Not, a, not even a large waterfall, a small little, small little creek that had descended into this waterfall, and, and Randy's body was lodged behind some rocks behind this waterfall. And people, were, people just scratched their heads. How in the world did this advanced mountaineer end up behind this tiny little waterfall? Well, they ended up going back and looking at photos and satellite images from five years earlier when Randy went missing. And what they discovered is that five years earlier, 
that whole area, which was now a dried up creek bed and a dried up waterfall, had been covered in snow. Snowpack about 10 to 20 feet deep, some estimates say. And Randy, who had been out on a hike, one of his regular routes as he was patrolling his area, he had been out on a hike, patrolling his region, following the regular paths that he would normally follow. But for some inexplicable reason, the best guess is that Randy decided that he was going to leave the designated routes that he would normally follow and traverse this snowfield, which, which again was very out of character for this advanced mountaineer. But somehow he decided to go off the path and traverse this, this snowfield. But what Randy didn't know is because of the warm summer temperatures, that snow had been melting and then freezing and then melting and freezing. And the best guess is that Randy had broken through an ice bridge, fallen to his death 10 to 20 feet below into this freezing water, probably died within a minute of hypothermia as he was trapped under the snow and ice and couldn't get out. And over the next five years, as that snow began to melt, his remains and his body just slowly moved down behind this waterfall where it got stuck until the summer heat ultimately dried up that whole area again and his remains were found. I was thinking about Randy's story this week in light of our topic for today because I think Randy's story is a fitting metaphor for our culture today. You see, we're living in a day and age when the sure and stable paths of old are being abandoned for courses of confusion and routes to ruin. Our culture has wandered from the way of life marked out by our Creator and bought a lie that says we can chart our own destiny, discovering joy and abundance in terrain that God has posted as out of bounds. One of the most significant results of this rebellion is a growing identity crisis in our culture where people no longer have a sense of confidence in who they are. Nowhere do we see this more clearly than in our culture's present confusion around the issues of sexuality and gender, where one's feelings today now define truth and reality for most people. And identity is simply a fluid notion that can change from one day to the next. I came across an article this summer in Women's Health Magazine, and no, this is not a, a magazine that I typically read. <laughs> Somebody sent me this. Yes, I know, I'm, I'm telling the truth, all right? Uh, interesting article, though, this summer, Women's Health Magazine. Here's your comprehensive gender identity list, as defined by psychologists and sex experts. Now, friends, right there in the title, you should be on high alert, Right? Because it's not the psychologists and sex experts of our world who define truth for us on this issue. It's God who defines truth for us on this issue. But this article goes on to reveal that there's not just two genders. There's not just man and woman. In fact, genders, there's a whole spectrum of genders. And gender is an idea that's fluid. It can change. And the article went on to describe there's actually a whole host of genders. There's cisgender and transgender and cishet and non-binary and intersex and genderqueer and gender fluid and gender non-conforming and gender expansive and odd gender and gender void and bigender and omnigender and pangender and two-spirit. But you can only use that one if you're an indigenous person. 
And on and on, there are all of these variations on gender as defined by our world today. Now, you might be thinking to yourself, this is crazy. I mean, where does this even come from? But friends, we need to recognize today that all of this is just the fruit of our culture's existential longing for meaning, identity, and purpose in a world that has abandoned any hope of knowing truth. And I'm speaking here of true truth, capital T truth, truth as reality, the way things really are, not our personal subjective feelings and opinions. You know, friends, we shouldn't be surprised that in a culture which says truth is relative, that people can no longer define concepts like man and woman. That teenagers would struggle to choose which pronouns to use in school. That grown adults would walk city streets dressed in animal costumes and identify as furries. You know, back in the 1960s, they used to call this the postmodern theater of the absurd. This has become today's reality. And so, when the average person looks in the mirror today and asks the question, who am I? Tragically, our postmodern world, with its denial of absolute truth, can provide no sure answer. And if a person's willing to be honest about it, the only options at this point are to fall into despair or you have to try and create a sense of identity in whatever you can make of your pathetic existence during this short and ultimately meaningless life. Friends, is it any wonder why we're in the midst of a cultural identity crisis today? See, make no mistake about it, what a people choose to do or not do with God and his revealed truth for our lives has profound consequences. And this is why what Pastor Stephen shared with us two weeks ago is so important. Building our lives on a firm foundation. Rooting our lives in the truth of God's word. Because the reality is it's in God's word, in his revealed truth for the world, where we find and learn who God is, who we are, and who we are in relation to him. As the great theologian John Calvin once said, true and substantial wisdom principally consists in two parts, the knowledge of God and the knowledge of ourselves. You want to be a person of true wisdom, friends? There's two key topics you need to be aware of and concerned with. Who is God and who am I in relation to him? There are no more important subjects that you can study in this world than those two topics. Now, the good news for us here this morning is that as Christians, we need not wrestle with our identity and wonder who we really are. Because as people whose lives are rooted in the firm foundation of God's word, people who hold to the reality of absolute truth as defined and revealed to us by God, we can have a great sense of confidence in both who we are and who God is. And then ultimately who we are in relation to him. 
Now, the Bible is full of great truths that reveal these realities to us, who God is, who we are. This morning, I want to focus on a single verse of Scripture that I think is extremely powerful, one of my favorite passages in the whole Bible, 2 Corinthians 5.17. You know, when you think about answering the question, who am I and whose am I? Right? The Apostle Paul gives us some great clues to that question in this verse. Paul, in the book of 2 Corinthians 5, verse 17, he says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Paul says to be in Christ is to be a new creation. The, the word new there in the Greek is the word kainos. It, it, it means to something original, something previously unknown. Now, now, understand, this is what happens. When a person puts their trust in Jesus Christ, a transformation takes place. You're still you in the, in the physical sense, but, but in another sense, you're not the same you. You're now something new and unique and original because of the work that God's Spirit does in you. And, and Paul says that the old you is gone. The old you has passed away, and something new has now come and taken its place. What is this new that takes the place of the old you when you put your trust in Jesus? Well, this morning, what I want to share with you are, are five encouragements, five truths about who we are in Christ. Who we are because of the transforming power of the gospel. Paul says, if anyone is in Christ, they are a new creation. In what way are we new? Well, number one, we're new in that if anyone is in Christ, they are no longer companionless. What a great promise. If you're in Christ, you are no longer companionless. This past week, I came across an article in my Twitter newsfeed I was reading through. It was about a study from Boston University this summer. Boston University did a nationwide survey studying college students today, and they reported that today, 60% of our enrolled college students can be medically diagnosed with mental illness, anxiety, or depression. 60% nationwide. That's incredible. 60% of our young people. The article went on to describe that the, the majority of college students today fall within a generation that's become labeled by sociologists as Generation Z. Generation Z. This is, this is young people who were born between 1995 and 2010. These are our present-day college students. Generation Z has been labeled by sociologists the loneliest generation. What a sad moniker. The loneliest generation. Where does this loneliness come from? Well, there's a lot of reasons we could point to, but it was interesting in the article, one of the things that they highlighted is that Generation Z is the first generation to grow up fully engaged with a digital world of smartphones, social media, and Netflix. And while this technology is, is a blessing in many ways, it's really incredible the reality is there's also a dark side to it. Because Generation Z is the first generation to grow up spending endless hours online, 
often never learning to cultivate, cultivate authentic and meaningful relationships. The first generation have been constantly bombarded with an endless stream of digitally enhanced images and influencers and advertisements, all the while experiencing an increasing sense of isolation, loneliness, and depression. If there was ever an anthem for this generation, it might be Green Day's song, Boulevard of Broken Dreams. I, I, I want to play a, just a line from this song for you this morning, a song that I think typifies what many in this 60% of Generation Z are feeling today. Take a listen to this. wish someone out there would find me. I walk alone. There are a lot of people in our world today who would resonate with this song. And while our world offers many remedies for the loneliness that so many feel, smoke some pot, take some shots, watch some porn, the reality is, friends, there's only one remedy that can truly alleviate this longing. And that is to walk through life in a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Paul says, if anyone is in Christ, they are a new creation. What does it mean to be in Christ? Well, the Bible gives us some incredible promises about what this means. To be in Christ is to be God's child. To be in Christ is to be Christ's friend. To be in Christ is to be one in spirit with him. To be in Christ is to be under his protection. To be in Christ is to be nourished by him. To be in Christ is to be certain of his presence. And we could go on and on talking about God's promises, what it means to be in Christ. Friends, I want to encourage you this morning, if you're looking for companionship in this life, there's no greater friend than Jesus. And I want us to remember that there is a whole world around us today longing for companionship, feeling alone and isolated in this world. And they need to know that there's a God who loves them, who's going to tell them, who's going to give them that hope. To be in Christ is to be no longer companionless. The second thing that we discover in Christ, if anyone is in Christ, they are no longer condemned. What a great promise, no longer condemned. I mentioned earlier that I love reading 
history stories. A story I came across earlier this year was the World War, World War II saga, an epic story of a guy by the name of Charles Jackson French. Charles Jackson French was an African-American Navy serviceman on the USS Gregory during the Battle of Guadalcanal. On September 4th, 1942, the USS Gregory was ambushed by Japanese destroyers in the middle of the dark night and hit with a direct hit, immediately sinking that, summer, sinking that ship, the USS Gregory. Dozens of servicemen lay dying and wounded in the Pacific Ocean. Very few survivors of the direct hit made it into the water. Charles Jackson French was one of those who survived the initial explosion unscathed. Charles Jackson French spent the next few hours swimming through the dark waters of the Pacific, gathering up his fellow servicemen from the USS Gregory, piling them into a life raft. He rescued 15 men who were certain to die had they not been saved by French. He piled them on a life raft. He tied a rope to his waist, stripped himself of his clothing, and for eight hours swam through the dark, shark-infested waters against the current out of Japanese waters towards the American fleet where they were eventually spotted by another Navy search and rescue vessel and rescued. All because of the heroic acts of this one man. I was thinking about French's heroics this week, and I couldn't help but think of what Jesus has done for us. You know, when we were dead in the water of our rebellion against God, being bombarded by sin, encircled by demons seeking to steal, kill, and destroy, Jesus Christ leapt into the waters of our condemnation, and he rescued us. He saved us when we could not save ourselves. He sacrificed his life so that we might have life. This is why the Apostle Paul in Romans 8, verses 1 and 2 says, Therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. The, the term law there refers to principle, the principle of the Spirit of life. He's speaking of the gospel and all that it entails. What Jesus did through his death on the cross and the transforming power of the Holy Spirit that comes into any person who puts their trust in him through the principle of the law of life, we've been set free from the principle of sin and death, this fallen, sinful world that we find ourselves in. And it's all because of the amazing grace of Jesus coming into this world, dying on the cross to forgive us of our sins so that we might be freed from our condemnation. Friends, if anyone is in Christ, they are no longer condemned. If that's not good news for you this morning, I can't give you anything better. There's no greater news than that. Thirdly, this morning, if anyone is in Christ, as we think about what this means and the incredible promises that are ours because of it, if anyone is in Christ, they are also no longer conformed no longer conformed to the reality of this fallen sinful world, no longer conformed by, by the sins of this world. This last weekend, my, my son and I, Caleb, were out doing some 
routine maintenance on our lawnmower, and I, I noticed that the, the right side of my lawnmower, the two tires on the right side, were all incredibly worn as opposed to the tires on the left side. The, the right side tires were all worn and even like warped a little bit. They, 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 it was crazy. I'm like looking at these tires, I'm like, look at the difference here, Caleb. And right away, Caleb said, well, Dad, think about it. You always mow the lawn in the same direction. And so I've had this lawnmower for like 12 years, and, and I'm always on this riding mower going the same direction, the same route, taking right turns. And so those tires had become worn over the years. And I started thinking about the reality that that's exactly how sin works, isn't it? We make that first choice to rebel against God, and before we know it, that choice has become a pattern. And pretty soon that pattern leads to conformity. We become increasingly molded into the likeness of our sins. And that likeness, friends, is always ugly. Have you ever noticed that? The more a person is conformed by their sins, the uglier they become. All the time. Sin never creates a beautiful person. Sin always creates greater ugliness. Physically, emotionally, mentally, spiritually. Every case. Earlier this summer, I read an article on the legacy of Hugh Hefner, the founder of Playboy magazine, who passed away five years ago. You know, for decades, Hefner was the leading cultural icon of the sexually progressive lifestyle. For decades, he was, he was elevated as, this, this is the image of what a true man is all about, right? A lifestyle of partying and riches and jet-setting around the world, all the while with hordes of beautiful women at your disposal. It's interesting, by the end of his life, Hefner had turned into a grotesque caricature of the playboy image he had promoted for so many years. Close associates say that in his later years he had become a reclusive hoarder and sexual deviant unable to achieve true intimacy. And that his sexual exploits were fueled by women drugged with quaaludes and Viagra for him and a constant barrage of pornography playing in his bedroom. Wow, how glamorous. Friends, sin always conforms you into greater ugliness, never beauty. The good news of the gospel, however, is that in Christ we have the power to overcome conformity to sin and its ugly consequences. One of my favorite passages in Scripture is Titus 2, 11 through 14. Here we read, For the grace of God has appeared bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age as we wait for our blessed hope. Oh, Pastor Jason, I, I can't overcome this sin I'm struggling with in my life. I mean, I, I'm, I'm just, I'm trapped in bondage to this sin. I'm a slave to my sin. I'm just so conformed I could never escape. Friends, that's not what God's word says. God's word says through the power of the gospel that's been revealed, we can say no to ungodliness and worldly passions. When? Not in the eternity to come, but right now in the present age. When we trust in the saving power of Jesus Christ, 
when we keep our eyes focused on him, looking to the cross, when we turn to him and ask for his power to be at work within us, we can say no to ungodliness and worldly passions. You know, I always love our outdoor baptism service every year. If you were with us last week, you heard some powerful testimonies. I was struck by testimony of my friend Chris Castle. You might remember him, the big guy up there, just a little bit smaller than me. <laughs> but Castle shared a powerful testimony of acknowledging I was a man who was addicted to heavy drinking, addicted to pornography, living a self-centered life. But when I turned to Jesus, he took all that away from me. All those temptations, all those longings, they're no longer a part of who he is because of the transforming power of the gospel. And I bet if we spent time here together today sharing testimonies like that, we could be here till midnight talking about the way that Jesus has transformed our lives. I look out there and I see faces of people who I know have stories just like that because of the goodness and the grace of God through Jesus Christ. We are no longer condemned. Number four, if anyone is in Christ, they are no longer confused. Friends, have you ever wrestled with the question, what's my meaning and purpose in life? Why am I here? Well, if you're in Christ, you don't have to go through life confused about that. I, I was at a graduation party recently in, at an open house, and I was talking to a mother who, for her last 20 years, her whole life had revolved around her kids, her children. And now her kids were all off to college, and she was an empty nester for the first time, and she made a comment to me. She said, you know, I think I'm just going to have to reinvent myself and figure out who I am now that my kids are gone. And there's a lot of people who are in that position today trying to figure out, well, who am I now, right? My kids are gone. What's, what, what's my meaning? What's my purpose? You know, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, friends, you don't have to ask that question. You don't have to wrestle with your meaning and your identity. The Apostle Paul in Galatians 2.20 tells us that I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Paul says, not I, but Christ. Not I, but Christ. Most people in our world flip that on its head and they say, not Christ, but I. And that's 180 degrees wrong. You want meaning in life, you want purpose in life, you want identity in life, you put Jesus first and pretty soon you discover that that's exactly what you were created for. And then Paul goes on in passages like 2 Corinthians. In 2 Corinthians 5.20, he goes on and he tells us, therefore, because of Jesus Christ in our lives, we are now ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us. So again, when you ask the question, who am I? What's my meaning? What's my purpose? You, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, are first and foremost his ambassador. And what do ambassadors do? Ambassadors represent the interests of their home country in a foreign land. And so we represent the interests of our king, Jesus, in a foreign land, this, this 
present culture that we find ourselves in. We are his ambassadors representing his interests. What is he interested in? He's interested in people and bringing them into a life-saving relationship with him. And so, friends, that's your calling, right? Like, like you might be a nurse or a teacher or a doctor or you might be retired or you might be a, a mom, a homemaker, an empty nester. It doesn't matter what your worldly title is. Your true vocation and calling is to be an ambassador of Jesus wherever he has put you in whatever season of life you find yourself in. And if you understand that principle, friends, you will never wrestle with the question of who am I? Or what is my calling? Or what is my purpose? Friends, as followers of Jesus, we have the greatest calling in the world. Number five this morning, if anyone is in Christ, this is great. They are no longer cursed. They are no longer cursed. Not only are we not condemned by our sin, but we no longer live under the fear of the curse of sin and the reality of death as a result of sin. See, as Christians, we don't need to fear death because Jesus promises us his resurrection power. In John 11, verses 25 and 26, Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. Anyone who believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Friends, do you believe this? It's true. Because when we put our trust in Jesus Christ, he applies his resurrection power to us. And so we need not fear death. You know, it's interesting. If you've ever been to a funeral for a follower of Jesus Christ, for example, this last week, we had a funeral service here for our dear friend Jerry Erickson. It's always sad to say goodbye to somebody we love. But you know, for a Christian, a funeral service in many ways is a celebration. It's a celebration because we know that the grave is not the end. We know that our friend is now in, the, in heaven with the Lord. We know that our separation is only temporary and that we have a great reunion awaiting us. Why? Because Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. If anyone is in Jesus Christ, they are no longer cursed. You know, friends, as we saw earlier this morning, our culture today is struggling with an identity crisis caused by their abandonment of truth. But as Christians, we should have no confusion over who we are. We have a great answer to the question, who am I? As a follower of Jesus, I am a friend of God, I am rescued from my sin. I'm no longer a slave to sin. I live my life with a great purpose. And I am confident about my eternity. What a great hope we have in Jesus, knowing who we are and whose we are. Do you have that hope today, friends? I pray you do. And if you don't, I pray you will by putting your trust in Jesus Christ. Let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, we just thank you for the powerful truth of the gospel and all that it means for our lives. The sense of meaning and identity and purpose and calling that we have, the confidence for eternity, all of these things that we are blessed with because of you. If anyone is in Christ, they are a new creation. Lord, help us to live boldly and confidently as a result of the calling you've given us. Help us to go into this lost and lonely world 
this, this world wrestling with their own identity crisis. Help us to go into this world faithfully as your ambassadors and declare that there is hope, there is meaning, there is identity, and it's found in what you were created for, a personal relationship with God through Jesus Christ, the one who can forgive you of your sins and make you a new creation, a child of God, walking faithfully with him throughout all of your days and then having the hope of eternal life forevermore. Lord, help us to be faithful as your ambassadors in sharing that good news with others. If there's anybody here this morning who hasn't ever put their trust in you, I pray that even right now they might just say a simple prayer in the quiet of their own heart. Lord Jesus, I know I've sinned against you. I've lived my life in rebellion against you. And today I trust in you as the one who died to forgive me of my sins, the one who rose to life to give me new life, to give me the spirit and the resurrection power and all the promises of the gospel. Jesus, I trust in you today. I want you to be my Savior and Lord. And friends, if you pray that prayer, God will transform you into a new creation. The old is gone, and behold, the new has come. Thank you, Jesus, for your amazing grace and your great faithfulness. We praise your name. Amen. Friends, I'm going to invite you to stand for our benediction this morning. Our benediction today comes from 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 16. Now may the Lord of peace himself give you peace at all times and in every way. The Lord be with you all. Amen.